Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Roar Lions Radio. This is tonight's host, Nick Pollock. I convinced Bill to let me get a night of hosting, so here I am. Nice to see you today. Not that I can see you, but that's okay. Uh, Bill, how you doing tonight? Bill DeFilippo, that is. Uh, not bad. I am currently in lovely Elmira, New York, and this weekend I am going to Saratoga Springs, New York to do something I've never done before, and that is lose money betting on horses. So, <gasps> Really? Yeah. I, I mean, as as people who follow me on Twitter at BFLIP33 know, I b- believe that horses are garbage animals, but um, I'm going to gamble on them this weekend. What's your favorite way that a horse has died in Game of Thrones? Ooh, that's tough. Um, I don't know. Anyone... The, the one that happened the other week where uh, Bronn was riding at a Dothraki... Spoilers! Fold. Yeah, it, if you aren't caught up on Game of Thrones by this point, sorry. Uh, where Bronn is riding at a Dothraki soldier and Bronn thinks they're going to, like, attack each other, but the soldier then, like, heads to the ground and is... Like, his head is nearly hitting the ground and he just, like, slices the horse's leg and Bronn goes flying. That was pretty cool, even if... You know, it means something bad happened to Bron. If I had guessed, I would have thought you would have said the, um, I think it was, I don't remember what battle, maybe it was when Stannis finally got taken, when there was just the horse on fire just kind of running around in the middle of the battlefield. I don't remember where that was. But I mean, that might have happened in the, epi- yeah, that I think that happened uh, when it was the Dothraki against the Lannister army. Yeah, I was gonna say, that, that probably could have happened again there since, you know, there was a dragon, lots of fire. But yeah, so regardless, uh, contrary to what you may think after the start of this podcast, we are not going to be talking about Game of Thrones tonight. Rather, we are going to do a little bit of an anticipatory talk about a potential James Franklin extension. We're recording this on a Thursday night. Um, As far as we know, the board is meeting on Friday tomorrow to talk about something. Many people have come to the conclusion that it's probably talking about an extension for James Franklin. Um, So we're just going to spend a little bit of time talking about why that's a good idea and what we are kind of expecting from it, what we think it's going to look like. Because head coach extensions and contracts in college football, though more extensions for reasons we'll get into, aren't are very different from contracts for head coaches in the NFL and other sports just because it's a league where there's so much movement with assistant coaches that uh, a lot of times that's a big part of it Um, so we'll get into that a little bit too but first off Bill why is it good that Penn State is choosing to uh, extend James Franklin I mean obviously the Big Ten Championship is a good reason but tell us a little I mean I don't think there was ever any concern that Franklin was going to look elsewhere. I mean, he seems like a college guy through and through. He seems like he loves being here. He seems like he loves Penn State, all that stuff. So I don't think there was ever the concern of, oh, my God, we need to uh, we need to give him more money and make him happy and have a buyout that if he leaves on his own it's or for a new job, it's crazy. Like I don't think it was anything like that. Uh, but I think it's always good to have – that security and that stability. I think it lets a coach, and this is something we talk about a lot with Pat Chambers, it lets a coach feel more stable. It lets makes recruiting easier. It does all that stuff. I think that's good. Most importantly, Penn State has a big old facilities plan that it's working on. 
James Franklin is going to want to make sure that the things that he wants in that facilities plan are taken care of and are in his contract as things that are going to happen. And then, of course, there's paying his assistants. I mean, he has put together an outstanding group of assistant coaches from, you know, Joe Moorhead and Brent Pry on down. I mean, he has, outside of those two, I mean, he is a bunch of guys who are going to be coordinators, going to be head coaches in the future. Keep, you want to keep them as Penn State at Penn State as long as you can. So, like that's I mean that's really the big thing. Like, ask any Penn State fan what coaching thing they want to happen the most. It's that Joe Moorhead's going to be around after this season. Absolutely. Anytime, give give him more money, and that makes that a whole hell of a lot easier. I, I'm not do not take this as Joe Moorhead is definitely staying. I have no idea. No one has any idea. But it's a lot harder to walk away from more money. Yeah, and when you're talking about a James Franklin contract extension, uh, you mentioned it. He seems happy here. I think as Penn State fans, obviously, our uh, third-to-last coach, I guess if you want to count Tom Bradley, Joe Paterno was here for uh, a couple years. I mean, maybe one or two. Uh, Yeah, yeah. But I think the natural reaction, because so many fans are used to that, even having only had Bill O'Brien for a couple of years, I think the natural thought is, oh, there's a guy who's a really good coach. He's going to stay here forever until he retires. Um, that's, I mean, that's not how it happens in college football. It's just not, unless you're Kansas State. So it, it's, it's kind of a weird area where it, to all of us on the outside, it seems like James Franklin's really happy here, and it seems like he would be perfectly content spending his entire career here. But in the landscape of college football right now, that's just really unlikely. But, I mean, do you see Franklin leaving for another college job at any point? Oh, I can't imagine that. I it, like, I mean, he... I'm trying to think of every college job that can open up that Penn State just cannot compete with in terms of money. And it's like Ohio State and Alabama and maybe Notre Dame. No, I'll throw Notre Dame in there just because when Notre Dame fans decide they want, when Notre Dame decides they want something, they'll like take out a loan from the Vatican or something. I don't know how any of this works. I'm an idiot. You, you could probably throw Clemson in there too in a situation where Dabo jumps over to Bama. Well, maybe. But well, that's, that's what I was going to say. Like, I don't know that James Franklin would want the Clemson job. Like, I don't. No, I, I like can't fathom the circumstances where Penn State wouldn't be able to go shot for shot with Clemson in terms of like, boom, here's your offer, boom, here's our offer, back and forth, and win that battle. Like, if it's coming down to money and the willingness to give him anything, it's Alabama, which, you know, Alabama is on another level. It's Ohio State, which is kind of on that level, and probably Notre Dame. And the funny thing is, when the Alabama, I think, probably has its next head coach in mind. Like, I would bet almost anything that if Saban decides to step down anytime soon, Dabo's their guy. Um, Notre Dame, I have zero idea what the hell they're going to do. And Ohio State, I mean, Urban Meyer has so many disciples out there that you would think, it's not terribly unlikely that one of them are already in line. So of the three that I think I would be worried about, two of them have people in mind, and the third one is Notre Dame, which I'm just like, why? At this point, why would I worry about Notre Dame in any way? So 
yeah, like I like I can't. What do you th- like? I can't see him going anywhere. I don't either. And I can't see him going guess, anywhere think, in college. I don't know about the NFL. I won't speak to that. But yeah, I I, I think I could maybe see him in the NFL a little, little later on, uh, just because I mean we we know the kind of style of head coach he is. He's more that CEO type, and that's something that plays in the NFL as well. But I think he might love recruiting too much to leave uh college football but then again yeah. so did pete carroll and he still recruits every year for udfa so well the, um, and like the thing with franklin is like he's the thing that he is best at and this is not meant to be a slight i mean it's been used as a slight against him plenty of times i don't mean it as a slight here his bread and butter is he is outstanding on the recruiting trail i mean you you have told me things that you've heard about how people are just blown away by him, his staff, how much they love coming up here. I don't know why you would give up the thing that you are the best at and you were one of the best coaches in the country at, which would be the case if he was going to the NFL, even if there is, you know, like, as you said, free agency and stuff like that. Yeah, it's, I, yeah, I'm torn on whether or not I could see him doing that, but I don't think he's going to go anywhere else in college because, as most people might remember, the two big job openings that were open when James Franklin got the Penn State job was were Penn State and Texas. And while it, from what I've read and what I've heard from people, it seems like it sounds like Charlie Strong was always Texas's number one choice at that time. He was one, he was one A, and then Franklin was kind of one B. He was their fallback from him. But I, I have to feel. I kind of feel like if Franklin had wanted, I mean, despite the state that Texas was in, it's still Texas. You still, you know what you have. It's a fantastic place to recruit to. It's even though they've been down, they have so much history and there's that whole entire talent laden state around them. So as far as big time programs and great jobs, even if there's pressure, pressure from the boosters and downturn recently, Texas is still one of the best jobs out there. I feel like if he had wanted to go somewhere else, that really would have been his time to um, really push more for that Longhorns job. And by all accounts, it I mean, it sounded like he wanted that Penn State job all the way, him and Al Golden fighting it out. Uh, maybe we'll tell stories about that whole deal one day. No, we but, won't. We won't. That, <laughs> but I, I, you're also forgetting one job that was also open in 2014. That was USC. Mm, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. So there are definitely options for him to pursue elsewhere that were high profile options. So I, I'm not sure I see him going anywhere else personally. I don't know, though. Never know. Quick side note, based on what you just said, Ohio State, let's say Urban retires in three years. And let's say in that time, Luke Fickle wins. Let's say he wins five games this year six games next year and eight games the year after at Cincinnati. Do you think they give him another shot? Bill. Am I all alone now? What happened? Lonely, 
I'm so lonely. <laughs> I have nobody. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Sorry. Um, do you want me to edit what? this or do you want to keep it all? Um, I don't know. I'll decide. Send me the file. I'll decide. Cool. Um. So wait, what just happened? I was getting food. Oh, okay. All right. Well, what did you hear me say, and what did you not hear me say? The last word I heard you say was Luke Fickle. Okay, so let's say Urban retires in three years. And let's say that these next three years at Cincinnati, Fickle wins five games, six games, eight games. Do you think Ohio State gives him another shot? Uh, I think a lot depends on how those five, eight, and seven look, which is kind of um, a cop out, but. I mean, I'll. We'll say the six and eight. I, I mean, I don't know what Cincinnati's schedule looks like, but we'll say we'll say he looks fine. I mean, he kind of treads water with five wins this year, takes a small step up next year, gets six, and then they become a very competitive team and route to eight wins. I, yeah, I mean, I think they were. I, I I think the Tom Herman thing probably hurt them a bit when it comes to having their next guy because Tom Herman made a lot of sense for them, but he also made a lot of sense for Texas. So I'm trying to think of Ohio-based guys that could go there, and I, I just can't well, – I know I'm probably forgetting someone. Really Ohio-based guys or urban guys? Oh, Either or. I mean, I know like Brian Kelly, I think – I know he coached at Cincy, but there's no way on God's green earth Ohio State would hire him. Um, no. Yeah. I – Steve Adazio you think, turns it around. You, you know what? Do could, you think? Do you think they could, would try to flip DJ Durkin? I don't think so. But an interesting thought just crossed my mind. What if, like, Greg Schiano goes somewhere, and he mm -hmm. ends up being pretty solid, and he knows how things work under Urban. Urban likes him. Urban steps down, and Schiano is kind of like that transition guy. If they think. You know, someone like Fickle or someone like Chris Ash needs more time to figure out what they're doing as a head coach. Interesting. I could see that. I could see them give. I could see them giving him the job. Yeah, I mean, in kind of like a caretaker position more than a, uh, hey, Greg Schiano, guess what? You're our long-term answer thing. But still. Yeah, that's interesting. I hadn't really thought about that. Yeah, I mean, that's I. An I think when when there is no one obvious, like, caretakers are fine. And I can't think of anyone obvious right now. Of course, in three years, it could be completely different. But, yeah, that's – I think for now, it's a safe thing to probably – I think yeah, the that, only holdup – I think answer. the only holdup to that, the only worry would be that they'd be going from Urban Meyer to a defensive-minded head coach, which, I don't know. Maybe, that's the only thing I can really think of. But we're talking about James Franklin, so let's get back over there. So we we mentioned, you mentioned, about how one of the goals of college football head coach contracts is to be able to take care of their assistants, with Joe Moorhead obviously being the biggest one. Are you What are you expecting in that regard? I mean, I know we're expecting more money for those assistants, and we won't actually ever know how much money it's for, thanks to um, the law. In Pennsylvania, uh, but I, I, I mean, where do you think, 
where do you think that there that Franklin is more worried about um, getting more money for? Do you think he's more worried about those stadium renovations, those locker renovations, or he's more focused on those uh, assistant coach salaries? I mean, he's always been the kind of person who likes taking care of those around him. I mean, he really hypes up. Like, that's the thing. Like, you could hype up the, like, oh, we're a tight-knit bunch. We're a family environment. We're this, we're that. There's a difference between hyping it up and being that. And there is nothing that either of us have heard that suggests that that's not the case. So I, I think he wants to take care of his guys. I think he wants to make it, not even like a make it tough for them to leave thing. Just like, I appreciate you. I appreciate the work that you do here's some more money here's some more security take care of yourselves take care of your families i want you here forever here's my here's the way that i prove it to you tangibly like i think that all that renovation stuff will be taken care of in whatever way it has to be but my guess and again i don't have any insight into this if you ask james franklin what the most important thing is it's going to be i want those around me to take I want to be able to take care of those around me. Yeah, I agree. I think that's, I mean, I, I don't, do we know exactly what he makes now? I don't think so. Franklin? Yeah, do we know that? For something. For something, yeah. I, that, I mean, that's a pretty high salary for a college football coach in general, so I'd be willing to bet that that number will probably stay around the same. I'm sure it'll get a bump up, but it won't be too much. But yeah, I think we'll see the majority of that contract go, the majority of the new money on that contract go over to assistance. Um, before we move on to the next thing we're going to talk about here, just really quickly, we've had a lot of really great content on the site, um, especially in the last two days. So just make sure you check that out. We have a bunch of different position previews out. We have quarterbacks, running backs, offensive line, um, tight ends, wide receivers will be coming soon. We have some uh, previews of Big Ten teams that um, Penn State will be facing and some they won't. We have Purdue out. We have Iowa out. There's a few more there. Um, we have a whole bunch of recruiting stuff as always. Uh, we have our FTF as always for the future. We have Solomon Enos, Curtis Enos' son, put Penn State in his top seven recently, so that's big news. And we have a great article about Brenda Tracy, um, a survivor of a sexual assault who came to the team uh, and talked about her experience and just talked about how they can better themselves as a team and as men. And uh, it seems like it went really well. And it's been really cool to see all the reaction from that. So make sure you go check all those things out. Lots of really great work going up on the site from our staff. So moving on, there's a one, two, three, four, five, six, six questions that we did not get to when we did a round of Q&A. Um, I want to say about three or four weeks ago we did that. Um, so we're going to make sure we come back and hit those really, really important questions now. Uh, the first one comes from intern Matt, and he says, does Blake Gillikin deserve Heisman buzz? I'll let you take this one because I am finishing my sandwich right now. What's on the sandwich? Turkey and other things that I will explain when I don't have a full mouth. 
Okay, sure. Um, so Blake Gelkin, yes, I think he deserves to be a fr- – no, uh, obviously he does not deserve Heisman buzz, but I'm going to use this as a jumping-off point to talk about how Blake Gelkin is amazing in all ways. Um, we haven't talked a lot, I don't think, and we didn't talk a lot about how awesome the play was that Gilligan made against Ohio State, recovering that awful snap in the end zone, uh, holding it to a safety instead of a touchdown. Just little things like that, I think, make Gilligan just an, just an outstanding football player. We know he's got the leg um, to boot the ball down the field. We He can even kick if necessary, so that's always good to have in the back pocket, but just his awareness, and I mean, it. we're very lucky to have him. Nobody likes to punt, but knowing that we have Blake Gillikin in the back pocket is always a great thing to be able to kind of hang your hat on if you're an offense. All right, uh, next I'm, question. I'm almost done with oh. my sandwich, but to weigh in very quickly, consider where it. Penn State has been in the last like two or three years when it's come to his punting game. Not even necessarily with like what it has been, but just the mindset heading into the season where you know James Franklin cares about all three phases of the football game. He wants to win on offense. He wants to win on defense. And he puts a ton of emphasis on special teams. We hear this about Urban Meyer a lot. James Franklin has a very, very similar mindset. And that was one of the things that they always did really well at Vandy. And you saw how much compared to 2014 and 2015 having a rock-solid special teams presence, especially when it came to the punting game, how huge that is. I mean, think of the Ohio State game in 2015 where Penn State was always, like, basically every possession was Penn State starts at their 10 or 20, isn't able to get too terribly much going against a really good Ohio State defense, punts, the defense holds up, Ohio State punts down, Penn State is starting at its its own, like, doorstep. Penn State runs two or three plays, punts from its seven-yard line, the ball doesn't cross over midfield, and that just kept happening, and that slowly wore Penn State down. And think of how rough that was, and now think of how great it is that we don't have to worry about that. Blake Gilligan is awesome, and the fact that Penn State has him and a player of his caliber is something that hopefully within the next two years we get to the point where that's the expectation but for now, it's still something that's so cool and so fun and so refreshing that like it, I'm just so happy about it. Yeah, definitely. He was unbelievably important to this team. Uh, moving on, um, we actually, I think actually, I'm not sure if we covered this on the podcast or not. Just, we'll we'll talk about it again real quick from Matt Corcoran at Matt Corcoran twenty six. Could this be the year somebody puts up 100, and if so, chances Trace and Saquon make that happen? I know I covered this in an article that I wrote uh, probably about a month ago now, uh, but this came from somebody asking Cliff Kingsbury from Texas Tech at Big 12 Media Day if he thought anybody would drop 100 at any time soon. He said no. I don't think Penn State is would be able to drop 100 on anyone, or that they would. I don't think any coach would do that, uh, barring... I don't know. Maybe maybe Michigan will try to do it against Rutgers yeah, Jim, now. Jim Harbaugh Ryan would Dunleavy. absolutely try to do that because he is a sociopath. Yeah. Thank you, Ryan Dunleavy. You are the gift that keeps on giving. Uh, but, I mean, we can kind of flip this around a little bit. Do you think Penn State gets 70 this year? Hmm. 70, no. It's a lot. Yeah. I mean... 
there are football teams that it takes that them three or four games for them to get to 70 on average. So, the I mean, like, Baylor did that when Baylor's offense was air raid, air raid. And also, we have to try and score as many points as possible because our non-con sucks and we need to have a claim for making it into the playoff or a title game or something like that. Akron, they won't. They'll have the starters out sometime in the third quarter. Georgia State, probably the same. Pitt, nah, I don't think they... I think they're going to score a lot on Pitt. I don't think they put up 70. Maybe Rutgers on homecoming. Yeah, nah, they're not They're not doing this. I'm, I'm getting this thought out of my mind. They're going to be a team that gets to 50 once or twice, but not. they're not. And it's not because I don't think they can. It's just that, like... I don't think James, it's, well, no, I also, I think that's incredibly hard and I don't want to put that stress on them. Uh, But yeah, I also just don't think Franklin would want to do that. Rutgers didn't reach 70 points scored on the season until their one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eighth game of the year. And that includes scoring 13 points against Washington. Yeah, as it turns out, going four games in conference where you score a total of zero points isn't very good. Yeah, that's... Man, that's bad. Poor Rutgers. Um, Let's see. We already covered this question about money for Franklin. Here's a question from... On Twitter, his name is Osnap, R- at RJK202. Are expectations too high for 2017? That's I, a really good question. <sighs> yeah, you go ahead it's, and take this. But. It's, it's a tricky question. It's a really good question, but it's a tricky question at the same time. Probably something we should write about. But it... It's it's all it's almost kind of tough to read expectations of the fan base as a whole. Most most people, I know most of us, kind of feel like ten and two should be should be the floor. Uh, not everybody feels that way, but the majority of people, if you look at the schedule, it sets up pretty well for a ten and two year. Maybe nine and three if something goes wrong. If you if they go eight and four this year with the talent they have returning, something really went wrong. But it's also been a while since Penn State's had expectations quite like this. So at the same time, some people absolutely could be getting carried away. I, under the presumption that 10 and 2 is the expectation, I think that's, I think that's right on. So I wouldn't say they're too high. I, I think maybe saying that Trace McSorley should be a Heisman candidate, I think that might be a little bit too high of an expectation. I think he's a great college player. And, I mean, truly he is the kind of kid who could win a Heisman. I mean, if you look at some of the people who've won Heismans over the past uh, 17 years, then he absolutely kind of fits that mold. But I think it'd be asking a lot of him to take that big of a step forward. So I think maybe on individual levels there's some unrealistic expectations. But I think as far as the team goes, I think as a whole – expectations are pretty fair what do you think yeah i mean what are the expectations one the team goes 10 and 2 or 11 and 1 and probably doesn't win the big 10 east because ohio state is really good and that game is in columbus this year two is that one of saquon barkley or trace mcsorley is a heisman finalist 
And I don't even know if I can call that an expectation. I think that's just a thing that a lot of people hope ends up happening. And then three, that the offense scores a lot of points, that they beat Pitt, that, yeah, like, what, like what in that is unfair, I guess, is the question. Like, what do we need to temper a little bit? Because I think, based on everything we know heading into the season, those are probably fair expectations. I Yeah. Yeah, like, I... Unfair expectations would be like if they don't win the Big Ten, something someone needs to lose their job or like, you know, I I don't even know. A wide receiver goes for 1,500 yards or Mike Gusecki is the, has a record-setting year. I don't even know. Like, just stuff like that. I don't think anyone expects anything of that. I think everyone expects, expects this team to probably be the second-best team in the Big Ten to come really close but ultimately miss out on the Big Ten title game again because the game against Ohio State is in Columbus and for a Heisman finalist. Like, I think that's all stuff that is probably fair to expect. I don't think it's the end of the world if the team goes 10-2 and and loses a dumbed game to, like, Northwestern. Yeah, like, like what would be an... Let, let me put this to you. Like, what would be an unfair expectation? Because I'm trying to think of one. I mean, going undefeated, That's I think that's an unfair but expectation. Does, but does I, anyone think they're going to go undefeated? I think, what is an unfair expectation that people are saying? There we go. Um, well, I'd say undefeated, I'd say having two Heisman finalists, I'd say, um, I don't know, I guess you can't really call, I, can't, I guess you can't really call back-to-back Big Ten championships unrealistic. It's not likely based on how good Ohio State looks and the fact that that game's in Columbus. But, um, I mean, I guess you could say playoff too, being somewhat unrealistic because if we're okay, assuming that fair. Ohio State's going to be better, yeah. And there, I've heard a few people make the argument that if Ohio State can make it in without winning the Big Ten last year, Penn State can make it in without winning the Big Ten this year. Which I think. I haven't heard it a lot. I've seen maybe one or two people try and make that argument. And I've heard one or two people bring it up, not in a, like, I believe this is happening way, but in a, you know, that's not the craziest thing in the world. For Penn State to not win the Big Ten but make the playoff, that game against Ohio State has to end, like, 31-28, and there has to be a lot of craziness. And I and just they, And they have to yeah. smash Michigan. Sure, I'll take that. Yeah, I uh, I think there's a very plausible scenario, I think, that Penn State ends up going 11-1 and with that one loss to be in Ohio State, and Ohio State winning the Big Ten, and Penn State not getting the playoff, and fans being really upset about it. I think that's a very light... I think that almost is... You could say it's a likely scenario in a way, but... I think the situations are pretty different. First of all, there's the recency bias for Ohio State, which, yeah, it's a type of bias, but it's pretty justified. They're, they've been very good recently. And then you have to consider the fact that if Ohio State's going undefeated or 11-1, and one, I guess it depends who the loss is, but they're probably going to beat Oklahoma. It's in Columbus. I think we'd be a little surprised if Oklahoma walked out of there with a win, even with as great as Baker Mayfield is and as much as we love him. I think we'd be surprised to see them win that game. So Ohio State will have 
the slightly better strength of schedule, even if just based on out-of-conference opponents. So it's not a totally comparable situation, but I'm sure that it will be a very busy uh, time of year all across the message boards regardless. In a bad way. I'll clarify that. In a bad way. But yeah, like I... I I think we would have called out unfair expectations if we have seen them but i haven't i haven't seen anything totally unfair so yeah yeah it's even with the team this talented most people seem to be pretty rational about it. I, like i don't think anybody would be super upset going 10 and 2 or 11 and 1 and playing in a high profile bowl game i don't like no i don't think there's gonna be one oh we should have been in the playoffs should have won big 10 rah, 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 rah. I think everyone's fairly I think I think most people would understand, hey, this is a great season. So that's good. Um let's see. Len asks us to look at his rash. Sorry, Len, consult your doctor. Yeah, and also uh he asked us that like a month ago, so if yeah. I hope it's so fine huh. if it's still there, then absolutely go check your doctor. Um the toaster asks us if sports are good or bad. I think we can emphatically say that it depends on the day. Yes, I mean, that's way too uh, broad of a question. Also, uh, the toaster is staying at my house for pit weekend, so I'm very excited for that. Don't keep him plugged in all weekend. It'll zap your electricity. Oh, yeah, if he tries to, like, take a shower or anything, I'm going to tell, like, make a bunch of really bad (laughs) jokes. Oh, God. All right, and then the last thing we want to talk about tonight, um, we... This is something that we'll probably end up doing as a staff, doing a little post about something that you and I have been doing for the last couple of years, uh, kind of as a little preseason exercise. But we want to talk about which players from the Big Ten, or which player, sorry, individual, which player we would add from somewhere else in the Big Ten to Penn State's roster just for... 2017 so not taking into account what they might do in the future not taking into account anything else just this singular season as they are right now i have a few ideas of who i would take so i'm gonna let you go first in the event that you choose one of them and then i can talk about the other easy it's jerome baker from ohio state oh well that's one of them yeah tell us why bill so he is awesome i mean when it comes to being a football player, he's a really talented outside linebacker, and I'd say if there is one position I am not certain about, I think Penn State has some guys with a lot of upside on its roster at outside linebacker, but I think even if they didn't, Baker is one of the two or three best linebackers in the Big Ten, so getting him would be, I'm putting him next to Jason Kibbit, it would not only take care of an issue on Penn State's defense, uh, but it also would make Penn State's defense just so much better. Uh, yeah, it, he's awesome. He's really good. He's also a very good person. I mean, there was an article that SB Nation wrote uh, called Ohio State linebacker Jerome Baker wants to change how athletes talk about s- sexual violence. He uh, is from either near Steubenville, Ohio, or from Steubenville proper. Uh, he's from outside of it. So when everything happened in Steubenville in 2013, that was a very eye-opening experience, and he and he's kind of used that to try and 
grow as a person and form a dialogue among athletes on how they talk about sexual violence. There's a really good piece, again, on SB Nation. Y'all should read it. And that's just the kind of person that I want to root for. And it pains me that he goes to Ohio State, so I can't really root for him. But still, he's very good on and off the field. Fills a need for Penn State on defense. And I'm trying to think of who the other player uh, Nick would take is. Is it Joey Jewell or whatever his name is from Iowa? Well, so Baker, like I said, Baker was my first choice. I think if I would take another linebacker, I'd take Scales. I was going to say either him um, or T. Gray, so okay. Yeah, just because I think I think Scales might be the best defensive player in the Big Ten. It's kind of hard to say because he's – well, I mean, Indiana's defense is pretty good. but yeah, Indiana's, yeah, def- I'd li- Indiana's defense was I'd, quietly really good last year, so. Yeah. And he, I, I'd, again, I'd like awesome. to see – I'd like to see scales like on Ohio State's defense or on Michigan's defense, like surrounded by other really good players. Oh and yeah, see how much yeah. he could, could accomplish there. So he doesn't um, have to so, like do everything. So he could just be so singularly focused on not cleaning up what other mistakes there would be. Like yeah, that would rule. Yeah, um, but yeah, like, like you said about Baker, he'd be a great choice. Uh, he literally does everything that a linebacker can do. He defends the pass. He defends the run. He goes after the quarterback. He does everything. He's amazing. The only other guy that I would consider, I there's not really anybody else on offense I would look at aside from maybe an offensive lineman, but I think Penn State's offensive line should be fine. Uh, a receive a big time receiver I think would be ideal just to add just to, I mean just to be able to supplement what Penn State has. But the receivers in the Big Ten are kind of not great this year. We'll see. So the other guy I was thinking of was Sam Hubbard, just because yeah, yeah. we've been waiting for Torrance Brown to really break out and he hasn't quite gotten there yet Um, there's a lot of really talented options at defensive end on Penn State's roster but it would be nice to have just a proven just quarterback mauler on the outside I think yeah also uh, honorable mention I believe I said this on the site earlier uh, this summer but I would like to have Troy Fumagalli just so he could be the more he could be the all-around tight end and this lets Mike Kosicki uh, achieve his destiny of being the all-time matchup nightmare uh, uh, among wide receivers and guys who can just move around everywhere. And basically, when you have a guy like Troy Fumagalli, then you can, or a tight, a, a quote-unquote blocking tight end, even though Fumagalli is also very good in the passing game, it lets you basically send Gasicki out there and find the matchup that you want for him, and then he will exploit it because he is, and I'm going to, you know, you know, pat my own back, toot my own horn all this last year because heading into last season, everyone thought he was bad and he was just going to drop passes all the time. Meanwhile, I was there saying, actually, he's good. So um, I'm going to say, as the person who was dro- who drove the Mike Gusecki uh, is actually good bandwagon last year, let's make him better by just exploiting whatever matchup is out there. Imagine him going up against like a five foot nine defensive back and then he notices a Joe Moorhead notices there's a big burly uh, linebacker who is trying to stop him. So then he puts Gusecki on there and he just goes up and grabs balls and runs past dudes and all that. So, yeah, Troy Fumagalli is kind of on there as well. Yeah, sure. Yeah, if you're driving that train, I was like the ticket taker. I wasn't yep. quite I was, wasn't quite up there, but I was right there. Um, yeah, just go two tight end sets and just motion them out every single time. Just cause chaos every play. That'd be yeah, great. Yeah. Um, 
I guess I'm trying to think of anyone else I would consider. I mean, if he hadn't gotten hurt, Jack Cicci might have been a good one. I love him. He's a great player. TJ Edwards is good too. Josie Jewell, um, kind of like a yeah. he's kind of like a souped up version of Jason Cabinda in Everyone a way. Everyone who so. plays on Ohio State's defensive line, basically. Yeah, yeah, just the entire Ohio State defensive line. They're all like, and it's important to realize that, like, we're saying that not saying that Penn State's defensive line is bad. I'm inclined to believe that Penn State's defensive line is actually like really good. It's more that um, Ohio State's defensive line has three guys who are probably going to be top fifteen draft picks someday. So yeah, yeah, should be fun to play against. No, not at all. Um, but I think that's all we have for tonight. Anything else you want to talk about before we go, Bill? Um, uh, a picture was just retweeted on my timeline of, uh, John Urschel and his fiance playing a life-size game of chess. Not a life-size, but an oversized game of chess. So, uh, there's that. Yeah, shout out to John Urschel. Like, the I, I think the way to probably do it if you were an NFL player who also has like aspirations beyond football. Play two or three years, get paid, say you got a chance to play in the NFL, and then pursue other things that are far more meaningful and far more impactful in society. Urschel did that perfectly. I mean, he got his two or three years in. He he proved he can play. I mean, there were concerns about whether he could play. He was like a sixth-round draft pick or something like that. He gets in there. He was a steady member for the Ravens' offensive line. The Baltimore Ravens really suck, so he did a great job getting out of there. I don't mean in terms of, like, you know, football. They're a fine football team. Just generally, the Baltimore Ravens suck. So I'm glad that he got out. I'm glad he got the chance to play in the NFL, and I'm glad that he is now uh, – using his otherworldly talent to pursue a career in mathematics and do things there. So since we haven't done this yet, shout out to John Urschel. You're great. Yeah, absolutely. We're assuming that he's probably like one of those people that's stupid good at chess, right? Oh, yeah, I think he is. I'm I'm actually like fairly positive he is really good at chess. I mean, I'd, I would be surprised if he wasn't. I mean, I feel like... Yeah. When you reach a certain level of intellect, that's the kind of game that gets really, really easy. Uh, but yeah, good, good for you, Google, John. Uh, oh, wow. In 2016, he took on the uh, U.S. champion in chess. Um, <laughs> huh. I Wow. Good for John. Of course Mitchell. he did. Yeah. Noted defensive lineman doing that uh oh wait it's here here it is on the ravens website i hope there's not a video of it that auto plays because that would be very weird uh oh it looks like it's not going to auto play uh urschel was given a small handicap but not much uh sparred quite evenly for much of the match but urschel seemed to be displeased with the move he made late in which his knight was captured fabiano won once john resigned with a minute and a second left on the clock where fabiano had 39 seconds urschel had seven pieces remaining while fabiano had 10 Huh. Wow. Okay. Good for uh. Good for John Urschel. Damn. Is that awesome. how the clock? Is that how the clock works? You have a time limit. So, I I think this is how. And if by some strange miracle there is a person listening who, well, if there's anyone still listening at this point, but there there is a person listening who knows how the rules of chess are, they're probably going to get really mad at me. But it looks like okay. Yeah, there was a time control in the match where uh the chess like champion dude had two minutes while Urschel had three, and I guess this just means 
like you get to do everything but you're not allowed to just sit there you have to like process everything really quickly so that's cool i guess man that yeah. <laughs> chess is not my game no not that's at all. okay all right well this has been another great episode we're sorry for the i think it was a two uh maybe just a one week break from the podcast um Whatever i was, was on vacation yeah i was on vacation out in seattle and uh i Brought my headset with me, but I didn't really find the time. It's difficult with the time change and also yeah, apologies and it, on us not getting. Yeah. And we, I also oh, had some, like we had ideas for stuff we could do. They kind of fell through, but hopefully starting next week, we're able to uh, get back into the swing of things and make this fun again. Yeah. Yeah. We'll be back on our regular schedule starting next week. Uh, so the podcast should be out on Thursday morning next week. This one will be out on Friday morning. That's okay. We love you anyway. And you love us, I think. So uh, make sure you visit the Roar Lions Roar store, store Lions store. We put just put out a couple new shirts that I just got one of them today and it's beautiful. So we have our Tradition Continue shirt, which is uh, the shirt with all the years that are painted alongside the facade of the stadium, including 2016, which is scheduled to be unveiled this season. Um, so just a nice little homage to the history of the team and how last year was building on that. Coincidentally, 2016, the first year Roar Lines Roar was in existence. So clearly, clearly we brought good things for the team. The other one is our has our classic logo, the Roar Lions Roar logo, but is a in a pink shirt with the logo written in black. And on the site, it looks like a, a kind of a softer pink. I'll tell you, the, the shirt itself, it's a very, it's a vibrant pink. And for someone like me, I really like the color pink. I think it looks outstanding. I will say, if you do buy this, you'll get a note from uh, our fearless reader, Chris Gro- Grovich. But make sure that you cold wash the shirt first because uh, apparently the ink has potential to run if you don't. Um, but it really does look phenomenal. I would highly, highly recommend it. That comes in men's and women's. Uh, of course, we have all the other shirts. We have Tutties. We have Penn State. Still have some ruining college hockey shirts lying around, some 2016 champion shirts, the uh, logo shirt, and then the bunch of fighter shirt. Shout out to the guy. I don't know if you're listening, but the guy who I saw at uh, Ryan Beaver's wedding last weekend wearing his bunch of fighter shirt. That was awesome. Great to say hello to you. That was cool. Um, but yeah, so make sure you keep up with the site. Read everything we're doing as the season ramps up. We're going to be pumping out more and more content every single day to make sure that you are absolutely 100% prepared for another year of Penn State football, perhaps one of the most expectation-laden seasons ever. Weird to say that, but it could be true, especially with the world of media ex- expanding those expectations ever, ever more. Um, but yeah, that's all we got for you tonight. Any final remarks, Bill? Um, no, nothing I could think of. Uh, thanks for listening, and uh, yeah, go State, I guess. Yeah, so for myself, Nick Pollock, and Bill DeFilippo, thank you for listening to another episode of Roar Lions Radio. Peace out, y'all. Goodbye.